Welcome to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. This episode, I speak to PR and fellow podcaster Helen Croydon. From beginning her career in accountancy, she went through roles as a journalist, author and PR, and now specialises in helping individuals get themselves out there in the press and raising their profile for her company Thought Leadership PR. Helen talks about saying goodbye to one freelance and embracing another, but using the skills from the first to help you go forward, as well as the benefits of trying out a few new things before you settle on your new freelance or extra freelance ideas. Helen talks about why she set up a podcast and what she's learned from it, and we chat about online networking too. This episode was recorded in May 2020. Welcome to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. Today I am chatting to Helen Croydon from Thought Leadership PR. Hi Helen, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining me. Um, let's, would you like to tell everybody what your freelance is? There's a bit of a clue in the title I think there, but tell us all about all of your freelance, <laughs> what you do, um, what, what Thought Leadership PR actually does as a business. Yeah, so I'm a freelance PR media consultant, um, but I've actually been a freelance journalist for longer than I've been a freelance PR. Um, So within that, I specialise in personal PR, so Mm -hmm. profile raising for individuals, business leaders, CEOs, academics, authors, anyone which any I'm non-industry specific but it tends to be um, people whose profession lends itself to thought leadership so Mm. people who kind of have work with intellectual ideas so that might be for example an academic or a lawyer or a business coach because you know that's that's how I'm able to promote their ideas and the reason I do that the reason I um, focus on individuals rather than corporate PR is because I was a journalist and an author myself so I've got experience in having to raise my own profile so that's what I now do for others I apply the formula that I use myself on other people very clever so you've like been your own guinea pig for your business essentially yeah Yeah. I I have but although I didn't know that at the time no you didn't realize you were building all of that experience yeah yeah that's brilliant. And so it's a case of like for those who sort of don't quite get the PR thing, it's almost like someone is, they have a business or they might be, have written a nonfiction book as an academic and then you would help them get publicity in articles, in newspapers, websites, that, that kind of thing or on TV, etc. Yeah. Any, I mean, thought leadership is a bit of a buzzword, really. But what it means is profile raising. It's um, promoting expertise. So that might mean uh, getting an article in the media, particularly um, an article that's written by you or by, by a client because it will be their byline so that might be an op-ed or an advice piece in a business publication or something like that it can also be social media raising profile on social media just being a lot more um engaged and a lot more active on different platforms it can mean getting speaking engagement so I help a lot of my clients land speaking gigs although now of course everything's remote so yes. that's the equivalent Online of that is getting them a gigs. webinar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be helping them with networking opportunities or it might be helping them come up with some prestigious content themselves such mm. as a white paper or or just a blog you know a simple a simple form of that would be writing a blog or promoting podcasts or promoting a YouTube channel mm. um, so they're all the sort of things that I did for myself when I was an author and now and then I realized there was actually more of a demand 
from other people <laughs> doing that <laughs> and I realized that I could probably make a better income helping other people do those things than I could you know just simply promoting my own books as an author and it's you've mentioned author there and you mentioned freelance journalist have you always been freelance and what drew you to self-employed life if you have had I'm assuming you've had a few staff jobs here and there in life but as freelance I have or? yes mm. I have and it's not binary I think a lot of people that are drawn to freelance life don't really have a binary career as in like you mm. know I did x amount of years staff and then went freelance um so I've had three different professions <laughs> and then within those professions I've been both freelance and staff so those professions um were I started off as a tax accountant years ago but we won't talk about that I was a wow. graduate and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life I was never ever cut out as an accountant so I left accountancy to then retrain I went back to college and I did broadcast journalism so then I was a broadcast journalist and within that I had staff jobs I started off in local radio and then I worked for ITN as a producer and then halfway through you know about about eight years into that career I thought hold on like I'm, I'm a broadcast journalist. I want to write. So then I left to go freelance. So that was my, my big step into freelancing yeah. was in 2009. Um, and I then I decided I want to do more written journalism. So um, I just started pitching to editors. I had no idea how written journalism worked mm. really because back then broadcast journalism and print journalism were very different. So I just pitched and pitched articles. And I guess for the next nine years, I then had a bit of a, a freelance career where I mixed doing shifts in a broadcast newsroom as mm-hmm. a as a freelance, freelance producer shifts, which was essentially my old staff job, which I did <laughs> as a freelancer. And then getting commissions for um, newspapers and magazines. And within that time, I probably wrote for all of the major national papers at some point. And then um, I, ha- I wrote a couple of books um, within that time, three books actually within that time. So over that night, so it was a very, you know, it's a portfolio career. When you're freelance, you yeah. just say yes to everything. So exactly, I am, don't yeah. You? yeah. What were your books? Tell everybody um, the names of your books. Oh, so my, well, my first book, which I uh, try, try not to talk about that much anymore, is called Sugar Daddy Diaries. So that was Ooh. a dating memoir. Love and it. as the title may indicate, I'd always had a thing for older men. And then I wrote about it, Brilliant. <laughs> which was great for my career. Oh, I relate to this. As a relationship yeah. <laughs> journalist, but maybe not so great for my Google search history and <laughs> not that great for family lunches for a while. You know, I totally put my my love life uh, out there but hey you know that was that was me at the time and I was adventurous and I wanted to push boundaries and explore mm. moralistic ideals and relationships like a lot of writers do don't they that's what writers do. They want yeah. to question societal values so uh, so I did that uh, <laughs> <laughs> love it and then my second book was a, a more research based book called screw the fairy tale and I wanted to explore modern models of relationships as alternatives to marriage so I wanted to question whether this you know the, the happily ever after relationship is really um, the holy grail anymore now that yeah. we live more independent lives and now that women uh, don't have to rely on a man to get uh, equal pay and all those sorts of things like they did 50 years ago you know is why do we still have this kind of ideal that you have to settle down mm. and have kids so that was a bit of a polemic and then a few years after that book I just lost interest in writing about relationships and <laughs> that's the point life. isn't it I was a bit like that I did it and it's like no one wants to date you when you write about your love life either because they think you're just no. like 
well, why are you dating me? So then I found like, actually, it wasn't that helpful because I really did want to beat somebody. You probably found the yeah, same thing. Yeah, it was similar. similar, mm. And also I just felt like I said the same arguments over yeah. and over again. And people got the impression that I was really anti-relationship and anti-men because mm. they used to write some quite opinionated stuff in the media. But they probably don't understand that you have to be quite opinionated. You have to exaggerate your views to get into the media. Otherwise, you wouldn't get those views in there. Yeah. So I just kind of got sick of being seen being mistaken to be this cold-hearted person that people hadn't kind of got the the nuance maybe of my views so I stopped writing about relationships <laughs> and um then got into endurance sport in a big way yes. so I think that repl- the party lifestyle got replaced by extreme sport <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> maybe a bit of a, of a trend here of extreme so I got really into triathlon and joined like all these running clubs and and then I wrote a memoir called This Girl Ran which was all about how I discovered outdoor sport and also the the wholesome effect that that had on my life Mm -hmm. and within that you know I tapped into bigger themes such as why aren't more women drawn to sport and feminine ideals you know in our societies like puts women off doing all this tough stuff so Mm. I didn't just make it about my story I made it more of a sort of you know a wider made it relevant to a socially wider debate oh lovely I'm going to chat to you a bit later about the triathlons and things because I love to ask people about how they find exercise as a a benefit or not for freelancing so we'll touch on that in a bit but you know when you mentioned about about everything and writing for the nationals we actually used to sort of work together this is as we're chatting on Zoom, as people probably suspect, because everyone's on Zoom at the moment, aren't they? Well, I was right when I was working at Metro newspaper and I used to commission you or you'd pitch me ideas and then we'd work together on pieces. And it kind of made me think how you can meet someone at one point in your career, freelance or otherwise, and then you'll meet them again. Like we've, we've come back together through different Facebook groups and sort of working on, I was working on a feature recently and I needed some quotes and I thought, oh, Helen will know, I'll, I'll ask Helen. But I guess my question is, do you think it's essential to be nice as a freelancer? Because, you know, those relationships that might ebb and flow. You know, I've bitten my tongue a lot with some editors when I thought they were being a bit of an arse. But then I think, well, what happens if they end up somewhere else one day? Do you you think you've got to be nice as a freelancer? Yeah, I do, definitely. I don't think freelancers have the luxury to pick and choose. Mm. And this is actually one of the reasons why, you know, I I moved away from being a freelance journalist and Mm. then um, decided to set up on my own as a PR was because certainly I don't know if I can say this of other industries, but certainly in journalism, a freelance and I don't want to offend any freelance journalist listeners, but you don't have much power. Mm. I felt anyway, I I felt it was a powerless role. And I had what I call second class citizen syndrome. So I was a freelancer both in the broadcast sphere and in the print journalism sphere. And they're both very different, but equally I felt like powerless. So on the broadcast side, I'd do shifts. I'd Mm -hmm. go into a newsroom and do the producer shift. And in that environment, I was very much a cog in a wheel. There was, you worked so hard. I mean, it is so busy in a national newsroom like mm-hmm. you know it's deadline centric mad crazy you get yeah. yelled at you know there's they're really really the newsrooms are really stretched there aren't enough producers so mistakes happen you know you you write a graphic on something and you get a spelling mistake or or something like that you know or you put the time code in 
wrong for like the start of a clip and you get like a few seconds of <laughs> dead air or something <laughs> like that and you get absolutely bollocked oh, and no. sometimes you know you go into these shifts and no one knows your name because you're this like you're just another freelancer that yeah. comes in to do you're like the shift. temp aren't you and yeah yeah and you just and I've been doing it for years and there's all these sort of 23 24 year olds coming up from journalism college and they were doing the same job as me and getting the same uh, we all get the same day rate it's non-negotiable yeah. so that was like the broadcast world and then at the same time I'd be pitching articles to try and get um written you know written articles as well in the print media and with that you I felt like I think you're pitching into a void you just mm. pitch to editors all the time and sometimes there's some that you've written for maybe three four times and they're all over you when you've got a lovely idea and then you pitch them uh, something that they don't want and they, they don't look so like. and I know yeah. like, I know they're really busy like I I don't always reply to emails simply because I've got so many of them so I'm not blaming them but it's just it's the job I'm not blaming them I'm just mm. it's the situation is pretty harsh for freelancers you know and then I'd go on to because I was an author as well, mm. I sometimes get asked to go on TV and like debate the topics mm. of my book, which is great. It all sounds very glamorous, but you get like in the early days, I might get you'd I'd ask for a fee because first of all, you know, the early days, I'd be so grateful for it. You just yeah go on. They say, "Oh, we'll mention it. your book." And then, Mm. yeah and you know what three people might buy the book from <laughs> from watching the program and you what you get like 50p a book I don't even know how much it is probably not even 50p to be honest so just not worth it mm. and then as I got a bit more confident I started to say to people well, is there a fee you know sometimes there was sometimes there wasn't and um, for radio there rarely was and you just get asked all the time to do stuff for free. I got asked to talk at literary festivals. <gasps> and then you say, is there a fee? And they say, oh, no, but it's great profile raising opportunity. So I think, That's you know, bad, it, it? there's a lot mm. of, there's, it is quite difficult being freelance. So going back to your question of, do you have to be nice? I, mean, <laughs> I think it's a no brainer. Like, I don't think, you know, you've got no negotiate even to consider not being nice is it's, yeah. you can't even consider it because you, have to say yes you can never mm. negotiate the fee if the fee is the fee if, if it's a print article yeah. and then if it's a tv appearance there might not even be a fee no because they're like well you're lucky we want you on and you're like oh hold on a minute though aren't you getting loads of advertising revenue or like with a literary festival if something's a ticketed event they're obviously getting money from the attendees you sort of think well hold on a minute then you should have a budget mm. To pay the people that are appearing there as part of the ticket yeah. prices. That's Can you imagine not paying the musicians? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you imagine? Oh yeah, come or on, the play door on staff or yeah, yeah, the security. <laughs> be great that. for your profile. Yeah. So this is. I mean, yeah. So I can only speak as a from as a free. I can only speak about the experience of being freelance from the journalism sector, mm. and it might be different in other industries, but I certainly feel you don't have a much power much mm. negotiating power no, no i see i see posts on facebook groups of people it's often the creative freelance industries but yeah things like design or web design where people sort of say oh can you just do me a quick logo and people are like mm. well here's how it works <laughs> i've been <laughs> i've been training for a long time now and i've experienced you don't just just do a quick logo although i guess there are websites <laughs> like fiverr where you can get a quick logo which are perhaps negative for the people who are designers who would actually like to charge yes that's true and actually yes. that's the equivalent of that in journalism is uh, people that write things for free yeah yeah 
so-called thought leaders mm. and I don't blame them because if you're you know if you're an author and you want to promote your book yeah you're gonna you you might write um an op-ed about about your book yeah. or if you're an academic and you want to promote your research you could write a, a condensed summary of your research for free and I think this is the model of media now is going towards commissioning experts to write content for free yeah. rather than um employing the journalist to um to write something yeah so and in a way this is it plays into my hands now that i've jumped ship to being a pr Ooh. that means actually now there's more opportunities for me because yes. i'm pitching my clients i'm not pitching myself so i'm <laughs> so i'm still getting paid but if i was still a journalist that's the that's the um that's the equivalent of it's undercutting the market i mean that's really interesting as well because you probably still get what i see is like the buzz of getting a commission or the buzz of the of knowing that something's gone in a certain mm. publication which if if you're a journalist that that's a real thing isn't it it's like you know well i was published oh, in yeah. so and so but now you can say oh, my client's been in so and so so you still get a bit of like you almost had to be yeah. journalist you in order to be pr you you couldn't be pr oh. you without having gone through all of that other stuff totally yeah and, i'm and sure we can yeah I often think that. Did you plan to, to jump into PR or did you sort of, is, was it something that was often on your mind over the years or did it suddenly come to you? know you? what, mm -hmm. it was a gradual shift, like I think a lot of life changes are, mm. aren't they? We very rarely wake up one morning and make a radical change. There's usually <laughs> a lot of things that lead, that lead up to it. Um, I think I just, so for all those reasons that, uh, that I just mentioned about, you know, feeling kind of undervalued as, mm. as a freelance journalist I think gradually I started this it grated on me more and more that I felt successful in one way and that I'd got three books you know it's so mm, hard to get a book so I work really really hard yeah. not only to get the book written but then to actually get it commissioned you know you have to reach out to so many publishers and you get so many rejections but I've got three books published and I've been published in every national newspaper and again that's like it took hard work and I've been like debate, I've been on like loads of TV programs, like being a commentator. So on the outside, people would think I was really successful. And I'd go to say, you know, I don't know, some friend reunion and people say, oh, I've seen you on Facebook. Yeah. I've seen all your posts on Facebook. You, you look like you're doing really well. And you know what? I just couldn't stand this disconnect between the way that people saw me. They obviously saw me as really successful because I had books and everything. But yeah, I didn't feel successful because I, was hard, I wasn't making much money from it. And actually, underneath for every article that I might have got published in somewhere like The Times, there'd probably been 10 articles that I'd pitched that had yeah. got nowhere. So I didn't feel as successful as people thought I was. And you know what? It's a horrible, grating feeling. Mm, that's have. really, yeah. That, yeah. Like, oh, it's no, just, I wish I could hug you and be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of a remaining. It's a feeling I relate to as well. And I think a lot of other freelancers will as well. And we I think, think everyone do. else looks like they're doing amazingly as well. So then we put that pressure on ourselves. Not only do we feel like we're perhaps giving out the wrong or a false message about how we're really feeling with our business, even though you want to show people your successes sometimes, then you'd see other people doing it. And then you think, well, they're doing really well as well. So there's that double almost feeling of, mm. am I actually doing that well? You sort of almost throw two things into the cooking pot and stir them up for yourself. Yeah, it is. It, and you see all these other journalists on groups, on Facebook groups, posting all you know the articles they've got 
commissioned and like me they've probably had like 20 rejections mm. for every article they get commissioned but all you see is the success because you're not in it's like it's, it's like what we're all feeling now with remote working yeah. all you see is the success you're not you're not in the office seeing it or seeing all the efforts that go into it so I gradually accepted this I think I was in like, I, I'm sure a lot of freelance journalists relate to this mm. that there's a, den- a sense of denial it's like no I can make it I am going to make a living like this I conceded that the journey the being a freelance journalist in today's environment is no longer viable and I think or being a writer even or being an author you you have to have something else and as I see more and more writers having day jobs and I think it's becoming very very sadly writing is now becoming a hobby and it's almost like we have to do something else and and editors are commissioning writers almost as if it's an honor to be commissioned Mm. so like that's the reward and it's been seen as a sort of a badge of honor it's you write for the prestige value you don't write for the money anymore and I see this I see it with authors I've seen it with journalists I've even seen you know you even see it with singers and Mm. um as well you know it's another creative industry that you see this phenomenon so it was a I think I just accepted uh, it took me years I was in denial for years that I can carry on being a writer which had always been my dream since being a little girl Mm. you know but actually I'm not going to make any money of it. So why don't I be a writer as a hobby? And why yeah. don't I find something else to make money from? So then so I moved into PR. It was a gradual shift. People started just asking me to do bits and bobs. You know, when you are, when they know you're in the media, you get people that contact you and say, how can I, oh, you know, start a new business. How can I get into the press? So I started to, uh, at first I, I ran a few courses on like, you know, how to get into the cool. media courses. And then I did some media training, just sort of like friends of friends. And then gradually just did more and more. And eventually um, I did, I did actually have a six month, my, my big, the final kind of, okay, journalism is over. I'm going to do PR was I saw this, a job advert for a PR agency that specialized in CEO PR. And okay. I thought, well, that's right up my street because it's promoting people. So I joined this company for six months. Or something. It's more like the sports person rather than. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. So I had this full so I went back to full time, you know, abandoned the freelance mm. life and went back to being full time, which was a challenge because I, you know, going back to that eight so hours a day. In an office. Office. <laughs> didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. How long did that worried. job then? I was that how long did it last? Yeah. I don't mean like oh, how long did that last, but like how long did it last? Seven <laughs> it only lasted seven months. Because partly because I think I'd got so used to being freelance and, and yeah. I love managing my own time, but partly because the guy who ran the business was turned out to be a bit of a crook and he ripped off clients. So oh, I nice. actually left on moral grounds, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but then I just thought, yeah, I'll start on my own. So I set up on uh, my own and that's when I set up thought leadership PR because of conceding that journalism wasn't journalism and being yeah. an author wasn't going to make me money. It's something I'm very much relating to right now. I keep t- I keep like date checking as I'm chatting to everyone. So we're talking on the 21st of May. So we're still going to say lockdown-ish. We're mainly lockdown, aren't we? So th- there's a lot of people, I think, at the moment thinking about their current freelance or their current staff job and then what they might like to do instead or what they might need to do instead. So I think that, that people are going to really relate to that idea. I love what you said as well about you sort of tried one thing, you did some training and then you did something else. It's almost like you dipped your your toes if you use that <laughs> cooking analogy again you kind of had a few pots on the boil you're like well, actually I'm really enjoying cooking that and mm, don't want to have that again 
almost like you did a bit of a taste yeah. test of what might then become your business would you recommend that's a good a good thing for people to try absolutely mm. absolutely because not only do you learn what you enjoy but you learn what you're good at yes. and I think all of us can will discover that we have skills that we're probably not aware of mm -hmm. so whatever industry you're in if you're thinking of going freelance you will have more knowledge than that you you will have knowledge that you take for granted so mm. for instance I have all this knowledge of how the media works which I take for granted I don't think it's that complicated I know that commissioning editors sit uh, go for a meeting every day at a newspaper at 10 o'clock and plan the day story. So I know that if you want to pitch to a newspaper, get in before 10 o'clock, yeah. pick a story that's like relevant in the news. But and for me, it's just so like, for me, yeah, to us, that's just like, like, oh, it's meetings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Conference, they call it. People don't, don't know they? this. It's amazing how much value you will find you having your knowledge people will pay for your knowledge mm. like companies will so whether no matter what in way you know not necessarily journalism but if, if you're a barista or something mm. you want to go because <laughs> you'll find that you'll have some skills that you would have learned through doing that like people management skills or something that will have a value elsewhere so i think I this that. is why at the beginning of being freelance you just got to say yes to everything yeah. and you soon learn where the demand is or you'll soon learn what it is that you have that people want brilliant because i'm finding now as a pr i thought oh okay if i become a pr the main thing i'm going to be doing is pitching um, my clients to mm. the media actually i'm not finding that at all i'm finding people want me for all sorts of different skills they're asking me my advice on starting a podcast they're asking me my advice on developing their their own opinions they're asking my mm. advice for how to prepare for a media interview so all those skills which i learned through years and years of being freelance i'm now putting to use with my clients and i just had no idea at the time that i was amassing all this skill set all those early mornings for those like newsroom shifts <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I assume they were early mornings were they early is it very they early, were early mornings yeah. or late nights or night yeah. yeah and you learn so many skills it, it, as a journalist you have to be mm. multi multi-task not only do you learn to like just do things quickly you know you're on yes. deadlines all the time you can't just kind of go oh I'll just leave that task for later you just <laughs> do it now yeah. then it's all the other things you know as a freelancer I had to keep my own my own personal website so I've learned basic SEO skills. I know mm. how to, I've learned WordPress. I know how to fix most issues in, in WordPress. I'm not an expert at these things, but I know the basics. I can trim videos. I can edit audio because these are all things I had to put on my site. And now I, I have an employee and sometimes I give her little tasks to do and I'll say, oh, will you just put that video on the, on the website? And she's like, oh, how, how is it going to do that? And I can't, I forget. Because you're just so this, used to doing it. This yeah. rounding of, uh, I think I consider that a basic skill, but that's just because I've worked in newsrooms. Yeah. Where you learn Absolutely. everything. I love that you've gathered all of this stuff and now it's like, it's like this real power for you. It's brilliant. And you mentioned podcasts there because you also have a podcast, don't you? And um, the Media Insider. Yeah. What, I'd love to know sort of like what made you decide to start a podcast? Because sometimes it's a bit of a, you know, people aren't, aren't going to make their millions through podcasts unless they become you know, the most amazing top 10 podcast that then gets Uber sponsorship, not from Uber, like <laughs> amazing sponsorship. What made you want to start one and what do you get from it 
as a freelancer, does it help your business to run a podcast, even if it doesn't generate direct income? That's the plan. I don't know whether mm, it does at the same, moment. Yeah. I don't know if that's enough <laughs> listeners. But that was, that that was, was the plan in uh, starting it. I, um, yeah, I, I never intended to make money from the podcast, but it's a marketing tool like mm. for, for a lot of people. It's a profile raising tool and the podcast is a great way to present yourself as an expert in something. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to create a podcast. Why I created the the media insider and, and is because I wanted to create one that was factual about how the media, how the different media platforms are made up. There was lo- there's loads of media podcasts that feature like discussions with people about their career and mm. you know personal interviews, but mine's more factual. I interview an editor of a different publication or or a broadcast platform on exactly what the different slots are, what the formats are, how they commission, um, how they plan and like how to pitch to them. So it's very, well, I intend it to be formulaic and factual. And very um, so, yeah. And but yeah, if you're a journalist who wants to, to know about pitching and certain publication, your podcast is exactly like you can, yeah, there's like magazine editors yeah. out there and website editors who, who tell you what, how yeah. they want the email to be written, which is like... Well, it's all PRs and it's yeah. for freelance journalists. That's who it's designed for. Yeah. And then I also thought that the third advantage of creating a podcast is that I thought that'll help me learn about mm. the media because even even though I've had 15 years as a journalist I still don't know how a lot of platforms put together. Cool and do you think in terms of for business if someone was thinking of starting one would you say go for it or would you perhaps say actually hold on think about it be sure you want to do it what would be your advice if someone thought <laughs> Amit, I want to, I I want to join say... these girls on their podcast these ladies rather you know women <laughs> on their podcast journey <laughs> Do you say go for it? Well, it's relatively cheap to set Mm. up and relatively easy. Although I don't know if I'm just saying that because I had a career in radio. So for me, editing and doing stuff with audio is quite Mm. simple. But maybe for other people, it's not. It It is quite intuitive, Mm. yeah. You've got to think about how much time you have to put to it yeah my podcast is monthly but when I first had the grand idea for it I thought it was going to be weekly and then I quickly put pay to that idea when I realized how much time it takes just to book the guests you know so and I would say research what you want it to what is it what exactly is your angle Mm. I, I spoke to an old colleague of mine the other day he rang me up because he wanted some advice on setting up a podcast and I said well what's it about and he said well I don't know yet I I don't quite know what the angle is yet and I'm like well you've got to start you've got to be the other way around you've got to have a reason you've got to have something that you want to create rather than just creating a saying I want to create a podcast but now let's think of the topic you've got to have a burning desire to think I think there was a gap in the market for knowledge on this aspect therefore I'm going to create a podcast on it yeah totally agree because otherwise you're going to burn out as well aren't you about four episodes in you could be like I don't want to talk about this topic anymore because it's not actually what I was that interested in in the first place you suddenly find you're not that fussed about actually carrying on with it I'd expect yeah yeah so true brilliant advice and as we mentioned we're chatting in late May um lockdown is still mainly on and I wondered how that's been for business as a PR and whether you found challenges or positives during lockdown for your your business how's it been well, I've luckily and touchwood, I've not been affected um, financially or client-wise. I've still got my existing um, 
four clients, I actually got a new client during the lockdown yes. period. But that was on the, I didn't get that, that, I didn't kind of start the business development process during lockdown. They were about to sign just before lockdown. And I actually yeah. thought they might not, but they did. So from that perspective, I've been okay. I think where I've struggled is um, two things. One is that I've just been busier because mm -hmm. my clients are doing more things. They've changed everything. They're now, they're now doing webinars. Everyone's doing like webinars during lockdown because it's just it's <laughs> the new marketing. Isn't it? I'm promoting yeah. their like, webinars or they're writing all the sort of sorts of op-eds or thought leadership articles that I might have pitched to the media before. I've now I'm now like pitching different. Um, ideas because all their expertise that they used to talk about is no longer relevant I've got to mm -hmm. make all their expertise relevant to what's happening now so just been a lot more work in you know getting a sense of their new ideas promoting different things that they're doing and then the second way I think it's going to affect me is I've not been able to do any business development so okay. at the moment I'm okay because I've got my existing clients but with any business you've got to have a pipeline of sales all the time you've got to have mm -hmm leads warm leads hot leads cold leads you need a mixture of all of them all the time and i've just stopped all that because it wasn't appropriate to reach out to people during lockdown to say hey are you thinking of pr <laughs> so it's hard to find the right moment stop. isn't it like yeah networking events yeah. obviously so i think i'm just gonna ha I, I might feel it further down the line because i haven't been reaching out but at the moment i i'm so busy with existing clients and just delivering for them that actually i haven't got time for any business development so i've just parked it. i hate business about it anyway so any excuse to not do it i'm like happy so i just Brilliant. said to myself actually i'm too busy <laughs> and that's a good excuse so Love i haven't it. done any Love because it. i'm concentrating on delivering for the clients i have oh, fair enough that's the thing though isn't it it's like when you're your own boss there's something you don't like doing that much. Have a break from it because it's not like someone's going to mm. say in your appraisal, why didn't you do that? Because mm. have you done much of the online webinars? I keep seeing them thinking I'm going to join and then almost chickening out. Like, I think I'm almost more nervous to online network than I am to in the network. Have you been joining in? Are you doing any? What are you feeling with those? No, I can't stand the idea. I'm so busy that the thought of sitting at a computer for an hour mm. and resisting the temptation to answer an email or just <laughs> <laughs> i've signed up for a couple of webinars and i have sat through my clients two of my two separate clients have hosted mm. online events so i've been a passive member of that just so that i can critique it and and promote it on social media and i must admit I've, yeah, the content's great i don't find the mm. content difficult but i find it hard just to sit there and focus because it's like my lap I'm sitting at my laptop and my laptop is the opening to so many other tasks mm -hmm. and when I've got this this to-do list like burning in my head and I'm thinking I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do that I find it really really hard just to not just to sit and stare yeah. at a webinar and resist the temptation to do other what I call real work because mm -hmm. you wouldn't in a so real life working place you wouldn't you, you might have your phone out and send the old email, I suppose, if you're in the audience, wouldn't you? But then when you're on a webinar, you, you're much more having to engage with the video content yeah. element of it. So it's kind of 
Yeah, but are you finding it's useful for clients? Are they getting good publicity through webinars? Are they? Yeah, valid in that I respect? think so. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, they are. Um, one of my clients had about 150 people in his webinar. And they oh, only wow. launched it after lockdown, so they just got such a great community of. Uh, they're, they're called Sastock, and they uh, they organise tech conferences for founders okay. and entrepreneurs. Yeah, and they've got such a strong um, community that loads of people sign up to all their events, and you know when they create events. Um, yeah, they had 150 people at one, and then they were organising a, a big event called Sustock Remote, which they're expecting like 4,000 people. Well, that's oh. a, that's not a webinar; that's an actual proper event with all different stages and all these weird and all but these other very wonderful yeah. features. Mm. Oh wow! Well, that blows my mind. Oh, we need to talk triathlons also, because oh. I, well, I love like I, I often talk to people on the podcast about how exercise helps them with their mental well-being especially when you're freelance I mean has it helped is that something that goes hand in hand with you as a as a freelancer as a self-employed person does the exercise really have a yes you there? Mm. absolutely I mean I've always been into exercise I've always kept fit but then in the last six years particularly so that's when I like really got into triathlon and, and had that as a hobby before then I was always just sort of like a kind of an average gym goer mm-hmm. um but then the last six years I've been in you know proper endurance athlete and I do do an extreme uh, amount by most people's standards but for me it's my hobby mm-hmm. and it's my life as in I lots my social circle revolves around my running club and my triathlon club so it is just ingrained in me and it's non-negotiable I wouldn't dream of not training and the one thing I do I I do prioritize mm-hmm. my fitness over work I get oh, cool. um I you know I just no matter how busy I am I will do it like, time management is all about prioritizing isn't it yeah. all of us um so can say we're busy and the reason we don't do something is because we're busy but it's not it's about prioritizing and I I'm lucky in a way that I've not found it ever difficult to fit in exercise some people say they have a mental block and um, and I sympathize because I've got a mental block about other things for years I've been saying I'm going to meditate I'm going to find 15 minutes a day to meditate and I never do because I I say oh no I was too busy I was too busy (laughs) yeah I can find an hour and 15 minutes to do my exercise so it's it's totally it's all it's all down to time management and it's about finding a way um that works so I think what I do now I train in the more I've and this is when why I think freelance life works for me and this is the biggest benefit of it is mm-hmm. that we can arrange our time and this was the thing that I struggled with most when I went back to being in a staff job yeah. was the inflexibility of this so what I do now is I train first in the morning before breakfast try and do a hard session and then I normally get back from that back nine because I'm not an early riser and mm. I believe very much in you should go with your body's natural rhythm. I don't find it easy to sleep at night. So I think, you know, very often I'm awake at night. So I think, so I try and sleep. I try and never set my alarm because I think I just need, need to get sleep while my body's sleeping because yeah. often it's, it doesn't want to sleep. So what, and I'm never going to wake it up with an alarm clock if I don't have to, because <laughs> I think you should just let, so I normally wake up maybe eight, sometimes between half seven and eight, but then, so then I do my fitness. <laughs> then it is sort of nine ish by the time I'm back. And then my, then I have breakfast and stretch. And, and if I'm working in my office, I don't get there 
till sort of half 10. And I used to feel really guilty about that. And I think when I was a freelance journalist, because I had less of the structured time, I'd beat myself up about it and think, why am I never at my desk earlier? Mm. I mean, half 10 is earlier. Sometimes it's like 11. <laughs> and I'm always That's like a mad rush. And I'm like, so I, you I need to get out. I need to get out. Rush, rush, rush. Yeah. And I beat myself up. And now I just accept it. I think, you know what? I just don't start work till half 10 or 11. And mm. then I work later. And it just suits me on so many levels because getting the fitness done in the morning means you have a late breakfast. I'm not starving by lunch. If I do it the other way, if I get up early, I'm like starving by 11 o'clock and end up having my lunch at 11. Yeah. And then everything goes to pot. That's so good. Because so, it is it's true, oh, isn't you're it? you're too like... tired to do your fitness at the end. You've got to find a time. I think the key to doing fitness is finding a time that suits your routine mm-hmm. and your body rhythm in the day. Yeah. And I guess when you're freelance... You can, you can experiment with that, can't you? So you might say, okay, we'll try for a week doing it before breakfast. If that really doesn't work for you, try lunch. If lunch isn't working, I guess you've got to see if you're an evening exerciser and then just try, try mm. every bit of, of the day and mix it up and see what works. Helen, thank you so much. Before you go, there's two last things I'd love to ask you. The first would be if you have one piece of advice to share about freelance life, like the biggest thing perhaps that you've learned to share with other freelancers or maybe newbies that are listening, what would be your, your kind of piece of parting advice for people who are listening? In the beginning, say yes to everything mm-hmm. um, until you, until and unless you are really sure of what your niche is and what you want to do. And then once you're getting lots of work, don't say yes to everything, then be really selective. <laughs> there's a really, there's, there's a line you cross where you say either yes to everything or mm. no to almost everything. Yeah. So once you know your niche, then you can start to say, okay, that thing isn't quite for me. But in the beginning, when you're niche choosing, say yes. Love yeah. it. Brilliant. And if people would like to hear about more about Thought Leadership PR to talk to you about being a client perhaps um where can they find you tell everybody sort of the website and any social media channels that you'd like them to find you yeah on. it's um thoughtleadershippr.com really easy um, my podcast is themediainsider.fm or you can find me on twitter helen croydon Brilliant. i think i'm on instagram but i never use it course so it's mainly twitter or, and you're on linkedin as well aren't you i know that you you post quite a lot on linkedin, LinkedIn. yes yeah, so. thank you so much for joining me helen it's been really lovely i've learned loads actually thank you so much likewise <laughs> like a bit of a therapy Thanks, session Jenny. for me so that's wonderful thank you so much Thank you for listening to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take a moment to rate and review it. I would be super grateful. If you'd like to find out more about Freelance Feels, it's at freelance underscore feels on Twitter and Instagram, freelancefeels.com online, and there's now a Freelance Feels newsletter at freelancefeels.substack.com. See you again soon.